and welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where sometimes we actually read good stuff. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And this is our 2016 book year in review, part two. Welcome back. In our part one, you we uh, we did our favorite YA and children's books. And in part two, we're doing our favorite books for grown-ups and favorite comics and graphic novels. And just in case you skipped part one for some reason, even though there's really good stuff there, you guys, just in case you <laughs> skip that, we will uh, go over just really briefly what our guidelines are for this. Uh, first of all, sometimes worst in this context really just means least best. Um, we're not counting anything that we read specifically for the podcast, which of course would be the true worst things that we read this year. Um, so some of the stuff, maybe we pick it as our worst, but we actually kind of like it. So just slightly less than the other stuff we read. So make sure you listen through if you're looking at our lists indignantly, like I can't believe that's your worst one. Maybe we liked it. This is especially true of me in, well, not these categories as, well, yeah, these categories, um, because I, like, we spoke a little bit about this in the last episode, but a lot of times Renata needs to read things for work because her job is librarian and she needs to be abreast of all of the new releases and stuff. Uh, I barely have time to read as it is, so I don't read books that I don't like. If I get 50 or 100 pages into a book and don't like it, I stop reading it. So basically everything that I read, I like to some degree or another, <laughs> which makes these lists seem sad for people who are like, oh my God, but I love that book. I'm sure it's very good. I liked it. I finished it. It just is the least good of all the books I read this year. And in that same vein, it is the books we read this year, not books that were published in 2016, just the books that we read in 2016, which includes a lot of backlist and a lot of other random stuff. Yeah. Um, so we'll count down our top five favorites and our number one least favorite, again, outside of stuff that we read specifically for the podcast. And we'll read you a short excerpt of our favorite and our least favorite. And I guess that's all we need to say. I think so. <laughs> Not when we made this list. All right. So take it away, Kate. What was your number five favorite adult book? My number five favorite adult book was The Heartbreak of Aaron Burr by H.W. Brands. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of this musical called Hamilton. Ooh, but tell me more. It came out last year, and uh, it's really interesting look at our founding fathers in the history of America through the life of Alexander Hamilton, and Alexander Hamilton was shot by Aaron Burr. Um, so, you know, I, I really relate to Burr in the musical, like an embarrassing amount. Yeah, because um, of all the duels that you do. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> of all the duels that I do. Um a lot of a lot of the stuff that Burr goes through really speaks to me, which is funny because like all of my friends make fun of me because of Hamilton's, you know, nonstop writing, and I have a large word count, which means nothing. It just means that I get bored easily. But yeah, I, I really overly relate to musical Burr, so I, uh, you know, sought out um, biographies on historical Burr, and this was the one that. Uh, 
Lin-Manuel recommended back when he was putting together Hamilton reading lists. And for that reason, I believe it was on our Hamilton reading list from last year. It was. Because I think I started reading this last year. Um, Because this was the first, like, the first book that I read going into 2016. But yeah, um, historical Aaron Burr was a weird dude. He (laughs) was just weird. And parts of his life are pretty funny. And parts of his life are just fucking tragic. Would you describe them as a heartbreak? (laughs) Perhaps. (laughs) maybe maybe that would be a good way to phrase it um like in the end of his life he did some like weird shady stuff too if you're interested in burr because of the musical i would recommend that you read it if you're not interested in burr i would still recommend that you read it because actual historical burr is not doesn't have a ton in common with musical burr actually Hmm. (laughs) but it was just really interesting to me like this is a little known person in our history despite the fact that he was a vice president and he was weird all right cool well my number five adult book is not really related to hamilton at all uh it's fiction it's called life after life by kate atkinson uh you probably heard of it it's a few years old i think it won some awards or was shortlisted. You know, it, ha- it had some buzz. You don't need me to tell you about it. But that's the whole premise of this podcast, that I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, so it's um, World War II era historical fiction, but with a, a time travel twist of sorts that we keep seeing... Uh, we keep see- it follows this family's life, and we keep seeing how things would play out slightly differently depending on just one one change that maybe happened. Like maybe the son does or does not go to war, and then everything changes, or maybe smaller things. Um, like there's one with a pet. Um, okay. Anyway, so it just it's really beautifully written and you really get attached to the characters even as they keep evolving and changing and of course who doesn't like to see somebody trying to kill Hitler we all like that we all like that um there's also a sequel that I forget the name of and haven't read so this is not helpful information at all but if you like life after life enough to read it you can probably figure that out on your own (laughs) All right, my number two best adult book that I read this year, I'm going to put a stipulation before I say it, which is I read seven adult books this year, or maybe eight. But the point is, um, I don't like to cover books that we've already covered, whether it's like the fourth book in a series that we've talked about, or um, a book that Renata read last year that I hadn't read yet. Um so the other book that I read was Between the World and Me, which we talked about last year, so I didn't want to talk about it, which led me down to exactly six Kate, books. Kate, you're which talking is ex- about it. You're talking about it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly the number of slots we have. So with that said, my number four book was Hamilton, A Revolution by Jeremy McCarter and Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is a coffee table book, <laughs> but it's literally one of the only seven books written for adults that I read this year. So you've all read it. 
Coffee table books are books too, Kate. I know. Coffee tables don't discriminate between the <laughs> sinners and the saints. <laughs> Guys, uh, you know that we've been on like a long sick leave hiatus, and I'm still not at the top of my game. I just want to be clear. Yes, yeah, I'm like halfway a person right now. <laughs> Please, um, but me. yeah. You know, everybody's read it by now. It is just um, a narrative of the creation of the musical and a libretto of all of the songs with annotations from Lynn. Uh, I cried like 19 times while reading it. You've all read it. So, you know, if you're like the one person who hasn't, pick it up. Here's here's why it's not on my list, Kate. Yes. Deckle Edges. Oh, right. Deckle Edges. It does have Deckle Edges. Warning. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, though, pretty good. (laughs) All right. uh, My fourth favorite adult book this year was Every Heart a Doorway by Seanan McGuire, who um, has written a lot of science fiction fantasy books that are are very popular. I have not read any of them except for this one because, I don't know, I know a lot of people really like them. They didn't really sound like my cup of tea from their description. I probably would like them if I would check them out. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about this one that I did actually read. And uh, why why I liked it, why I like the sound of it, it's about a school for children who have um, gone through portals to different worlds. Like, if, you know, think of like your Narnia concept or, or what have you. Except they've all gone through to different types of magical worlds. They've all ended up back in the real world. They're all, like, very scarred by the experience. Uh, Some of them really want to go back. Some of them are really happy to be back because their world that they went through was terrible. Uh, Just a a lot of adjustments. So that concept really hooked me because I do, you know, I did love Narnia. I love all that kind of, like, portal fantasy type situations. Uh, So it's really well executed. It's really... um, it's more diverse than fantasy often tends to be. Um, there's an asexual character. There's uh, ethnic diversity. And it's... So that's that's a plus, of course. I got into a fight with somebody on Goodreads about this because I, I mentioned that in my review. And they were like, it doesn't matter. I was like, it does matter. Anyway, you can read my Goodreads review if you want to see that fight play out. <laughs> or uh, just... Just take my word for it, and uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> my one complaint is that it's technically a novella, and I wish it were longer. I wish it were, like, 800 pages, because I really loved it. But I think that she is writing a sequel, so I'll wait for that. Sounds good. Um, my number three best book that I read for adults was The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, which was great. Uh, it is an actual book for adults with like pages to read and stuff. It's a novel. Deckle edges, yes or um, no? <laughs> no deckle edges. Well, mm. I don't. I assume no deckle edges. I read the ebook version. I'm not normally a high fantasy person, which is probably why this isn't higher up on my list because it's one of those things that I can recognize all of the. like the craft and how good it is in the landscape of high fantasy but I just don't care it's more like I liked this book despite the fantasy the high fantasy setting than because of it 
um, but it, it takes place in a world where a um, a geographical ge- mm, big Geo- earth geological 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 event has just happened and follows the paths of several different people in the aftermath. And I don't want to give too much away, but it, the, the magic in this world is really interesting when juxtaposed with the actual physical world building itself, the makeup of the planet that they're on. Um, And the characters are all really good and really funny. It's also a very diverse book. And it's really tense at times, but it's also very sweet. And the it's told from several different points of view. I was really impressed with how whole each character was. Um, so that even though we're getting it from different points of view, like it never feels routine like it's never a case of sometimes when I read a book with multiple points of view I'll put it down and pick it up again and like read a page and be like wait who's talking again um where that was never a problem that I had with this I but it was really good um I really recommend it even if you're not a fantasy person um because I'm not normally this type of fantasy like I at least need usually like um you know like a modern setting or you know fantastical elements in history of our world like the sort of other world high fantasy landscape stuff normally doesn't appeal to me but this was really great uh it's the first in the series i currently have a hold on the second in the series maybe one day i will get it and be able to listen to it and then hopefully i'll like that one just as much fingers crossed yes all right, my third favorite adult book of 2016 was You'll Grow Out of It by Jessie Klein. Um, I'm about to say some, like, peak white woman liberal arts graduate sentence here, which is, I I first grew to like Jessie Klein because of her pieces on This American Life, and she is a, a comedian, comedy writer, what have you. Uh, she writes for... Inside Amy Schumer currently, or at least at the time the book was published currently. Uh, so she, this is a, a collection of essays about her her life experiences. I really thought it was funny. I thought a lot of it was relatable. I think a lot of it is maybe only relatable to a certain flavor of, like, privileged white woman. But some of it is a little broader, probably. Um it's it's just really funny. If if you liked her on This American Life, you might like her essays. Um, if you like Inside Amy Schumer, asterisk, I know Amy Schumer's done some problematic things, but also a lot of the show is still really funny, I think. Uh, if you like that, you would probably like this. That's uh, all I got. It's, it's a, to a particular type of reader, I really endorse it. To not necessarily everyone. That's not Sounds that's not good. a complete thought, but as mentioned, still <laughs> still not well. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, my fourth fourth yes fourth fourth favorite book for adults that I read this no, year second. was second. Sorry, I was counting down the list. And so... <laughs> Also not totally well yet. <laughs> also, math is hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but my second favorite book for adults that I read this year was Flight by Sherman Alexie. Um, and I've read a bunch of Sherman Alexie's other books before, and I was listening to this on audiobook. I think it was on sale on the Audible Black Friday sale. And I, as it started, I really didn't like it. Like within the first, I don't know, maybe like 30 minutes of listening to it, I was like, oh my God, is the worst book that I read this year going to be a Sherman Alexie book? <laughs> because I, I really am not into this. And I don't know if it was the narrator or what, but as the story continued, I got really invested and really like by the end I was crying and we were actually uh becca and i were at the bus stop and our friend tina had come by to pick us up because it was raining very bad and she drives by our bus stop um a couple times a week so she had stopped to get us and becca turned to me to say tina's here and i was just bawling because <laughs> a really sad thing had happened um <laughs> Or a really sad thing had been had been explained that had happened previously. Uh, but um, the book is the story of a young um, half-Indian boy named Zitz, who is in the foster system in Washington State. And it's told from his point of view. Uh, he's a teenager. He's not had good luck in foster homes before. He's not had good luck with the system. He doesn't feel like there's anything for him or anyone in his corner. Um, he gets arrested after running away from his f current foster home. I think that's the reason why he went into jail or he picked a fight or something. And uh, he's arrested by this cop who he has been arrested so many times. The cop knows him and they have like a good relationship. And when he's in holding, he meets this weird white kid who inspires like a lot of passion within him. So when he gets out, he finds the kid and the kid talks him into robbing a bank at gunpoint. But once he gets there, as he, after he pulls the trigger, he wakes up in someone else's body at a different point in time. And that's sort of the rest of the book is that he jumps through time, like into other people's lives and lives all different lives um, from all different perspectives. And at the end of all of it, you know, things happen. I don't want to totally give everything away, but it was really good, really intense at points, as I said, with the crying in public. I mean, I cry at everything in public all the time, so maybe that's not a great <laughs> indicator. But yeah, um, I would definitely recommend it. And if like you're getting through the first couple pages or the first 30 minutes of the audiobook and it's not clicking for you I would say keep going I probably would have stopped like I said like I don't tend to push through um but I do like to give books a little bit of time before I give up on them and I'm really glad that I did it for this one because it was really good hooray all right my second favorite adult book of the year was you can't touch my hair and other things I can't believe I still have to explain by Phoebe Robinson who you might know as one of the titular dope queens of the Two Dope Queens podcast. Uh, like You'll Grow Out of It, this is also a series of personal essays about her life, working in Hollywood, working in comedy, etc. 
Uh, super funny. A lot of legitimate LOL moments. I don't know. If, if you like Phoebe Robinson's comedy, you'd like her book. Uh, it, it does have a little bit of, like, uh, I don't know what I was going to say, like, white splaining, but it's not really that, but, like, explaining to white people about, like, black hair, which, you know, I've, I am a white person, I have white hair, I've read some blog posts, uh, I saw the good hair documentary, but still, like, I could definitely stand to learn some more stuff about black hair. So there is some of that, there's also some stuff that I imagine would probably be more, uh, relatable or more, like, I feel that if you actually were a black woman, but, uh, I, Unlike my previous book, I would, without hesitation, recommend this to anyone to read and enjoy. Yay. Um, my number one favorite, I got the number right that yeah. time. Number one favorite book that I read for adults this year was Get in Trouble by Kelly Link. Uh, it's a collection of short stories. It was a runner-up for the Pulitzer, mm. which is exciting. And if you're not familiar with Kelly Link, she writes a lot of, like, really weird, creepy short stories. I really like her a lot. Um, I have all of her books. I read everything she puts out. Her book, Magic for Beginners, is still one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, get, in, uh, get in Trouble, like I said, it's a collection of short stories, so there's not really any overarching plot. They're all just kind of, like, weird and nice and creepy and sad and a mixed bag that you would expect from any collection of short stories, I guess. It's hard to describe <laughs> an entire anthology with words. If you like Kelly Link, I definitely recommend it. If you don't like Kelly Link, I still think that you should at least try it. You know, there's a whole bunch of different stories. Read a couple. I'm sure there's something that would appeal to you. Um... But yeah, it's just, it's great. I actually can't find my copy of it because I'm pretty sure I have, I've lent it to at least one person who gave it back, but I think I lent it to someone else and they still have it. So I had to actually take out the ebook copy from the library to read an excerpt um, for the podcast, but take that as a ringing endorsement that I like it that much that I keep physically putting my copy in people's hands and making them take it. So I'm going to read a little bit from one of the stories in this book. Some background, I guess, is that this couple is, it's sort of like a creepy magical realism sort of thing. Um, this couple is at their friend's wedding. Their surrogate, who is pregnant, they've left behind and... She's gone into labor, but there's, like, weird stuff going on. It's not easy for them to get back to the main... There's no phones on the island where they are, and it's not easy for them to get back to talk to her to check in. So there's that kind of hanging over it, plus this creepiness of the place where they're staying in and of itself. Harper is snoring in Thon's ear. Is that what has woken him? There's another noise in the room, that rustling again, that cellophane noise. Do you hear that? Thon says. His tongue is thick. Harper. Harper says, Ugh. The noise increases. Harper says, What the hell, Thon? Thon is sitting up in bed now. He's still drunk, but he is piecing together the things that Harper tried to tell him a few hours ago. Naomi had the baby. 
Harper, he says. Harper, get up and puts on the light. There is movement in the room, a kind of black liquid rushing. Beetles are pouring, a cataract, out of the bad claw and onto the table and down the wall, across the floor, toward the bed and window. Something urgent in their progress, some necessary, timely task that they are engaged in. The lively, masked shape of them is the shadow of an unseen thing moving through the room. Scurrying night. There will be a night in the NICU, much later, when Thon looks over at another isolate, sees in the violet light a spider moving across the inside wall. Every year, the nurse says when he calls her over, every spring we get a migration or something, spiders everywhere. She reaches in, scoops the spider into a cup. Christ on a bicycle, Harper says. What the fuck? He and Thon are out of the room as fast as they can go, down the stairs and out of the house. They stumble down the rough beach to the dock, the lumpy yurt silent and black, the sky full of so many stars. God has an inordinate fondness for stars and also for beetles. The small and the very far away. Harper has the suitcase. Thon carries their shoes. No doubt they've left something behind. All right, I'll leave it with that. Sounds good. Yes. Well, my number one favorite adult book of the year is in a completely different direction. It is The Hour of Land, colon, A Personal Topography of America's National Parks by Terry Tempest Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Which... Same thing. (laughs) Which is a collection of essays... I really like essay collections because you get like all kinds of different little stories inside a big story. Uh, Anyway, these are sort of a a personal history of Terry Tempest Williams told through the national parks, as well as often a history of the parks themselves, either a specific park or the park service or just something that she learned in a particular park all woven in there. Uh, Something you might not know about me is I'm like a real nerd for national parks. Uh, just like President Bartlett on the West Wing. I'm really into them. I have a National Park passport. I full-on cried at the Ken Burns documentary about National Parks. I just really like them. So, of, of course, this book is getting some bonus points from me due to that. But even even if you are just a regular casual admirer of national parks uh this book is still very beautifully written really interesting uh really goes in more than i might have expected into issues of native american rights and uh like fracking and like all kinds of thorny issues surrounding the national park so it's not just like oh, they're so beautiful, they're so great. It's, like, very complex, and uh, and I really liked it. And so I'm just going to read a little bit from the introduction, actually, um, and then there's different essays that are set in specific parks, but the introduction is... Well, it's an introduction, you guys. <laughs> Our national parks receive more than 300 million visitations a year. What are we searching for, and what do we find? 
As we Americans and visitors from abroad explore the 400-plus sites within the National Park System that includes national parks, monuments, battlefields, historic sites, seashores, and recreation areas located in all 50 states, perhaps it is not so much what we learn that matters in these moments of awe and wonder, but what we feel in relationship to a world beyond ourselves, even beyond our own species. I was raised in the state of Utah, where five national parks and seven national monuments are commonplace. We took them for granted. Zion, Bryce, Arches, Canyonlands, and Capitol Reef were in our backyard, the land where our families gathered and we roamed free. We hiked Zion Narrows and escaped a flash flood. On that same trip, my brother and I camped against a red rock wall, and in the morning when we awoke, a boulder had fallen between us. We cross-country skied in Bryce Canyon, convinced the pink and yellow pinnacles of stone were lit from the inside out, especially at night. In Capitol Reef, we picked peaches from orchards planted by Mormon pioneers. We knew that arches and canyon lands were an acquired taste, a bare-boned landscape more akin to Mars than to Earth. Natural bridges had the darkest, star-struck skies, the place where I almost died falling off a cliff with 136 stitches running down my forehead like a red river and a lifelong scar to prove it. We learned early on we live by wild mercy. But it was standing inside Timpagano's Cave, a national monument, as an eight-year-old child that marked me. We hiked up the steep mountain trail that rises a thousand feet from the valley floor in a short mile and a half. We went hiking with our church group from Salt Lake City, just an hour north. We reached the entrance of the cave and were ushered in by a park ranger. Immediately, the cool air locked inside the mountain enveloped us, and we wore it as loose clothing. Immense stalactites and stalagmites hung down from the ceiling and rose up from the floor, declaring themselves teeth. We were inside the gaping mouth of an animal, and we were careful not to disturb the beast. We passed through Father Time's jewel box and the Valley of Sleep, traversing the cave on a narrow, constructed walkway above the floor so as not to disturb its fragility. But it was the great heart of Timpagano's cave that captured my attention. When everyone else left the charismatic form, I stayed. I needed more time to be closer to it, to watch its red-orange aura pulsating in the cavernous space of shadows. I wanted to touch the heart, rum the palms of my hands on its side, believing that if I did, I could better understand my own heart, which was invisible to me. I was only inches away, wondering whether it would be cold or hot to the touch. It looked like ice, but it registered as fire. So, if you're into that, the book is is more of that. It's pretty good. Sounds... Like a book of essays about national parks. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess we're up to my number one worst book for adults that I read this year, uh, which was One Damned Thing After Another by Jodi Taylor. Uh, This is the start of a series that I didn't realize when I picked it up. Um, I listened to the audio version and it was just underwhelming. Um, I had seen like one person I knew had recommended it, and I was like, "Well, whatever. 
the cover looks nice and it sounds sort of interesting, so I'll read it. And it was just not my cup of tea, I guess. Um, I, my my real problem. So so the point of the book, the the story of the book is that this historian is recruited for what seems like on the outside, like a historical archaeology organization. Um, and as it turns out, it's actually a secret group of time traveling historians who go back in time to witness events to try to figure out like what for, for various reasons they're hired out by different clients who sometimes they want them to you know go back to the dinosaurs and figure out like what the stars looked like back then and what type of plant life there was and sometimes they want them to go back to world war ii and go to the site of a devastating disaster and figure out what caused it if it was an accident or if it was done on purpose um so they're all sent out they're trained at this institution and then sent out to do these tasks throughout history. So parts of it seemed like kind of lighthearted. Most of the tone is lighthearted and funny. Um, a lot of like weird, funny things happen, but then like it'll turn around and like really intense things will happen. And they just seem really out of place in the rest of the narrative. And then, like, halfway through, this other thing gets introduced and makes it even more convoluted. And I just, like, none, none of it was doing anything for me by the end. Um, I can see how it would be of interest to other people who like, like, kind of quirky British fantasy type stuff. But it just was too much for me. The tone never sat right with me. The characters never seemed right. Um, they were a little too... I mean, I read a lot of young adult books with very diverse casts. So, like, reading about a bunch of heterosexual white people is always weird. So, yeah. Also, the other thing... God, how did it start? The It was written, like, five years ago but it takes place in the future from then. So like 10 years from now. And like one of the first things is they talk about like, Oh, well, since England's left Europe and America will be closing its borders soon, I know you're going to need a new assignment as an archeologist. And like that, I almost stopped reading it there. Cause I was like, is this too close to home? <laughs> I can't, I can't deal with this. Um, but it, it, it was like the rest of the tone was very funny and that was left behind and it was just scene setting uh, to give her an excuse to be joining this Institute. But it was very weird um, in a creepy prescient sort of way, but I'll read a little bit from um, the sort of beginning ish. I think it's like the third or fourth chapter when, um, our uh, main character is at the institute where she's, you know, starting to learn all this time travel stuff. I suppose that because, with the exception of smart-ass Sussman, I'd rather liked everyone I'd met so far, I was lulled into a false sense when it came to Barclay. My own fault. I could have kept my mouth shut. I should have kept my mouth shut, but I'm stupid and never learn. Third in command at St. Mary's after Dr. Barstow and Chief Farrell, her approach was a contrast to everyone else's easygoing style. 
She was unpopular, self-important, and lacking the sense of humor gene. Without warning, she wheeled and pounced. You, Stevens, what did I just say? If he had had any idea of what she'd been boring on about, it must have flown straight out of his head with the sharpness of her question. He stared at her, a small furry woodland animal hypnotized by a ginger cobra. The silence lengthened. I looked up. You were describing the position of a point as relative. No point can ever be regarded as solid or fixed, but must always be viewed in relation to everything else. More silence. Is your name Stevens? Good God, it was like being back at school. No, I said helpfully, I'm Maxwell. I suppose you think you're clever. More silence. Answer me. I'm sorry, I didn't hear a question there. Mercifully, the, the clock struck, signifying the end of the lecture and lunchtime. No one moved. At last, she stepped back. Dismissed. So that was my card marked. Second period on the first day. Way to go, Maxwell. Um, so that's just one, this particular character, like she's the only female, there's two female sort of authority figures and they both are kind of like super bitchy, you know, the protagonist who's cool and laid back doesn't get along with them because they're like super bitches, but eventually like sort of wears them down enough so that they chill out and they can be friends. Like it just all rubbed me the wrong way. Well, you know how women are. Yup. Alright. Well, my least favorite book of the year was Spark Joy by Marie Kondo, which you might, but probably don't recall, that last year one of my actual favorites was The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Um, you're probably familiar with the base, her basic her basic thing is like you have too much stuff and you should get rid of some of it. And I really did like the first book and even though some of her advice I knew was just not going to work for my lifestyle, like I I cannot commit to a full-on Cone Marie life, but I still overall liked it. This was like more specific advice. Like if you read the first book, which is more of a general overlook, and you're like, okay, well, that sounds good, but, like, how should I get rid of my shoes? And, like, what should I do with my this? Uh, and for me, it was just, like, too much information and a lot of, like, well, I'm definitely not doing that. Like, in the first book, she suggests that every day you should completely empty out your purse at the end of the day, and then in the morning put all the stuff back in your purse. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm just definitely not doing that. And so, but the first book, it was fewer things. And this was like, I don't know, like a 90%. I'm not doing that. So I'm going to read a little bit about how she thinks you should treat your bras, which is like royalty. Panties and bras should be stored separately. I sometimes come across people who press a pair of panties into their bra cups to make a set. While there is nothing wrong with this, I do encourage you to try treating your bras like royalty just once. Compared to other clothes, they have exceptional pride and emit a distinctive aura. Bras are never seen when worn, despite their uncommon shape and varied designs with decorative frills and lace. They are more like an invisible accessory than clothing, and should therefore be stored so as to retain their shape and respect their beauty. A common and unfortunate mistake is to flatten the cups and then line them up. 
This is a waste. Instead, arrange bras so that they rest lightly in layers against one another. If you fold the shoulder straps and side pieces inside the cups, you can reinforce the cups and easily extract a bra without disturbing the rest of the row. There's there's more, but I'm just not going to read you like this full chapter about how to store your bras. But uh, yeah, that's that for me is too much information on how to store my bras personally. Yeah. <laughs> so, shall we move on and discuss our favorite graphic novels and comics? Sure, let's go for it. Yeah. All right. Um, so my number five best comic slash graphic novel that I read this year, um, again, because I don't like to talk about stuff that I've already gushed over before, this is hard because I only read X amount of comics. Like, I only subscribe to a certain number of comics. So, you know, Squirrel Girl... And Bitch Planet are still the best comics that I read in 2016, but they were also the best comics that I read in 2015. So I'm broadening throughout my favorites, I guess. I don't know. I'm tired. Leave me alone. Okay, Kate, I'll stop. I'll stop bothering you. (laughs) So my number five best comic or graphic novel that I read this year was Steve Lickman by Dave Raposa with Dan Warren on art. This was a comic that I that I got through the Kickstarter that they had for it, um, and I'm sure that you've probably seen panels from it going around the internet. Um, it's about this. I don't know if you can make that assumption because I have never heard of this. The title might not, but when I describe it, it might sound more familiar. Um, the the main character Steve Lickman is this sort of like undead skeletal figure in the underworld, and it's kind of like his shitty day to day life. When like like the first adventure in the books, like the first thing covered by the 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 book is this warrior comes to defeat him, and he goes to stab him with the magical sword, and nothing happens, and he says like, "Are you a virgin?" And the guy's like, well, no. And he's like, well, then, you know, you're fucked because only a man who's pure of heart can kill me. And you should have known this. And the guy, like, tries to come up with an excuse. And he's like, unless, <laughs> I think the exact quote is, unless you can unfuck that woman, <laughs> there's nothing you can do. <laughs> um, so it's like kind of a slice of life comic for these creatures of the underworld. Like Dracula's in it a lot. They get bullied by... <laughs> these other like this cyclops who hates them and like beats them up all the time (laughs) and it's just it's weird it's sweet at times it's sad at times it's mostly very funny i highly recommend it there's two volumes now i haven't read the second volume yet but um definitely check them out if you haven't read them so far it does sound funny i'm glad i've heard of it now (laughs) all right my number five favorite is Deadpool v Gambit, the V stands for Versus, by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, with art by Danilo Bayruth. Um, someone else who I looked up but forgot to paste in here. Eh, you'll find out later. Uh, so I subscribe to a certain amount of comics, and I do it mainly, like, I prefer to wait for trades, but I subscribe to a few mostly out of guilt, because, like... 
comics about that I like kept getting canceled and people kept being like, you have to like buy comics if you don't want to get canceled. And I was like, fine, I will. But so like my general policy is I usually only like to subscribe to things that are either like about a woman character or by a woman or a person of color um, and not something that's like two white dudes. But I made an exception for this because as you may know, I love Gambit. Like, I love him. He is my hashtag problematic favorite. Uh, I, I like Deadpool. I don't love him the way a lot of people love him. I like Gambit more, to be honest. But I like Deadpool. And I really like Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, who you might know from the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh, which, if you if you don't, that's, that's another pretty good podcast that I would recommend. Although it's <laughs> done. There's... It's pretty good. This is a little little thing they did. Just, you, not... Maybe you heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about that, though. I'm here to talk about <laughs> Deadpool v. Gambit. It's just really, like, anyway, so I made an exception, and I subscribed to this because I genuinely couldn't wait to read it. I was really excited. I really, it was very funny, goofy, high story, a lot of really good jokes. Um, there's a scene that you you may have seen on Tumblr, I don't want to presume, where in their, like, fight through New York, they end up at Hamilton and make some, like, very funny Hamilton jokes that I enjoyed. Uh, so if... This is one that, like, to is, like, very specific, I think, to me and, like, my love of these characters, but it's also... It's pretty funny if you like the humor of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, I'd recommend it. Uh, if if you're looking, for, and it's it's a like um, there's a limited run. There's only five issues, and it's done, and it wraps up. So if you're just looking for something kind of like simple and fun, and you don't have to follow something terribly convoluted, Deadpool v Gambit. Why not? Sounds like something I won't read, but will know to recommend to people who have similar tastes to you. That's reasonable. So my number four best comic that I read this year was Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, written by Brandon Montclair and Amy Reeder, with art by Natasha Bustos and colors by Tamara Bonvillain. Bonvillain? Bon... whatever. Good... you did good colors, Tamara. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is adorable. If you like... Squirrel Girl, if you like Hellcat, if you like other, like, good comics, Lumberjanes, if you like Lumberjanes, um, I would absolutely recommend that you read this comic. It follows the story of Lunella Lafayette, who is a young girl who is really smart. She likes inventing things. She likes science. But she just likes that more than people um she is a nerd and doesn't really like her parents don't understand her teachers don't understand her she's feels like she doesn't necessarily fit in and then devil dinosaur shows up and they fight crime (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's weird it's weird but it's adorable and like funny and heartwarming Lunella is great I love her 
she's just like such a great character who you'll super relate to if you were a kid who always felt like adults just didn't understand you but even like as an adult looking at her I think she's great. Um, it's a ton of fun to read in like a land of, you know, doom and gloom in comics. Reading a book like this is just fun. Um, I feel like I I feel like this book wasn't like super promoted a lot. That could just be me. I'm at a point where like I really like to have fun when I'm reading most of my comics. I do still read some serious stuff, but. You know, and this this is fun. All right, well, I'm going to talk about something serious now. Uh, okay. My number four. I, I also thought that book was very cute, but I didn't put it on my list because Kate did. And my list is full. With with my <laughs> number four book, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chast, uh, who did the art and the words because she's very talented. And this is a few years old. It won awards. You might have already read it or heard of it. But it was, it was really moving and funny and beautiful, and I've, I liked it so much. I had to put it on my list, even though it's not something that necessarily like needs my endorsement to boost it by any by any means. Um, and it's it's a memoir of her aging parents and her having to help them as they get dementia and are moved into assisted living and eventually die, and it's real sad but it's also like very honest and very relatable she's very uh, mm, I said honest like 70 times but it is it's you know it's she's not sugarcoating it at all but it still has very funny moments as well and just if you are a human with parents you probably would find it at least somewhat relatable good to know Kate, I noticed you're a human with parents, so... I am a human with parents. I hope you felt shouted out there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, My number three, right? Yes, number three best comic that I read this year was Welcome Back. Uh, It was written by Christopher Spella with art by Claire Rowe and Jonathan Brandon Sawyer and colors by Jeremy Lawson. Um... Welcome back. This is another thing where I don't want to give too much away because it's so good. Um, the The conceit of the story is that there are people, there's a war going on and there are different factions and it's different factions and it's been going on for thousands of years. And there are people who are reincarnated, who are um, assassins and soldiers in this war who wake up in new bodies and you wake up in a body and you know that there's a person from the other side who like, it is your destiny to find them and kill them in every life. And the conceit is that one of these sequels, this woman wakes up and becomes self-aware of what's going on and changes, flips the script a little bit. Um, I don't want to give everything away. But you should definitely read it. Like, I know that sounds, it's, it's, it's good. It's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a really interesting story and it's told very well. Um, There's romance in it. um, There's queer women in it. And I think I actually talked a little bit about it before I might've recommended it um, 
on the podcast as a read-alike for something. Um, but it is really good. It is currently self-contained. There's two volumes, and that's currently all there is. Uh, last I heard, the creators were maybe hoping that someday there might be more, but as it is right now, all of it is in two volumes, and you should definitely pick it up um, and then talk to me about it. Would you recommend it for humans? I would recommend it for humans. Well, cool, that's my demographic. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Uh, my number three favorite graphic novel of the year was Strange Fruit, Volume 1, Uncelebrated Narratives from Black History by Joel Christian Gill, uh, who, again, did art and words both. It is what it says in the subtitle, Uncelebrated Narratives from Black History. It's a anthology of short historical comics about notable African-American figures who aren't, you know, your top shelf, like, Black History Month. Like, you're going to learn about Rosa Parks. It's sort of like, you haven't necessarily heard of them. Like, uh... Bass Reeves is one of them who you may have seen on Drunk History, who was, shoot, I want to say the first, but I don't think he was the first. I think he was the most technically successful U.S. Marshal who possibly the Lone Ranger is based on and had a really interesting life even like before and after becoming a U.S. Marshal. So I think there's maybe five stories in it. There, None of them are people that I had heard of before and there's it's just really interesting um kind of funny kind of moving you know i this is one that we book talk to schools to kind of promote history to students but i think it's good for a wide range of ages and it's definitely something that you i don't want to say definitely because i don't know your life it's almost certainly people that you have not heard about before and will likely enjoy learning about sounds good as a human who likes drunk history (laughs) highly recommended for humans check it out (laughs) um so my number two best comic that i read this year is totally a cheat i think I'm 99% sure one of us talked about Squirrel Girl last year, and I know that we've talked about it, recommending it um, as Rita likes for other books that we've read. But this isn't the Squirrel Girl ongoing series. This is a self-contained graphic novel, mm-hmm. and that's different. I've decided. Totally. Also, it's not even a real rule that we can't talk about stuff that we talked about before. It's just a guideline. It's true. And we're like pirates. Yes. Of podcasts. <laughs> um, so my number two pick is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Beats Up the Marvel Universe, written by Ryan North with art by Erica Henderson. It's really, if you love Squirrel Girl, which you should, it's just as good as the ongoing series, but like maybe almost like a little bit more intense in places. But still really great. Um, Squirrel Girl is a girl named Dorian Green who has the the powers of a squirrel, but like... The proportionate... Proportionate! Thank you. Who has the proportionate powers of a squirrel, um, which sounds ridiculous. But her kind of conceit is that she's gone up against all of 
the greatest villains in Marvel history and through like weird things has beaten them all at one time or another. So because of the way that back in the day they, um, and they might still do it this way, but I don't care enough to know, um, calculate like all of the stats for different characters. A lot of it is based on like who you've beat up in fights before. (laughs) So she had really good stats. Because she had beat all of these crazy villains. Um, She's had this ongoing series for a while now, and this is by the same creative team. And it's just, like, it's fun. It's so funny. It's, like, exactly my sense of humor. I cry laughing all the time while reading it. Um, And this, you know, particularly it's a self-contained story. So if you're not sure if you want to sign on for an ongoing or you don't like reading uh, comics that have, like, the storyline spread out issue to issue, this is a good place to jump on. Um, it's really great. It's a ton of fun. The character is great. The story is great. Ryan North is great at writing her. Erica Henderson's art for the series is so perfectly matched to the tone, um, of the story and the art's fantastic and I love it. I love it too. Uh, I'm... Almost positive that Squirrelor was my top favorite comic of last year. Like, not only did I talk about it, but I talked about it the most. Um, so. I think so, because I think it was going to be. I couldn't decide between that and Bitch Planet for mine, and then I saw you had that, so I made mine Bitch Planet. Great. Anyway, we heart Squirrel Girl in all forms. Yes. Uh, okay, so my second favorite graphic novel of the year, and this is, I alluded to this in part one, where I said, I was talking about, like, how subjective our lists are, and it really is, like, our very distinct personal favorites and not some kind of objective best, and I mentioned that on one of my lists, it was possibly offensive, my ranking, and this is really what I meant, because my second favorite is March Volume 3 by John Lewis with art by Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell. And I won't spoil my number one yet, but it is a Marvel superhero comic, and it feels like a little, like, okay, this is, like, a very beautiful moving memoir of a civil rights hero, and you are ranking it below, like, someone who wears tights and beats up pretend people. But I'll talk more about that later. Uh, I mean, it's excellent. Like, I have read the first two volumes of March as well. They are super good. And if this list were on objective quality or, like, I don't know, importance to the world, I would put it number one. But this is not that list, and so it's my second favorite uh, I don't know. I Again, also, this book does not need me to hype it in any way. It's You probably have already read or at least heard about at least the first volume. And, I mean, it, it's really just John Lewis, who's a civil rights hero, March with Martin Luther King, organized, like, all of that. Uh, very inspiring, very moving. Uh, unfortunate how still relevant a lot of it is. But something about the graphic novel and and the art, I think, contributes to this and the the layout of the panels. It it all comes together and makes it feel very like you're in it, like you're there. And it makes, even though at this point, maybe there's a lot of books and movies, there's a lot about the civil rights movement. And I think it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, I know it happened. I already read that book or I already, like, saw a different movie. Uh, something about the graphic novel format and, and it being a memoir and not fiction, like, it's, it's, it's very good. That's all I'm gonna say. It's very good. It is very good. 
Um, all right. My number one pick for favorite comic or graphic novel of the year. Similarly, although I I put all like crap superhero shit on my <laughs> list. So um well the the book is Over the Garden Wall. Um and there are actually two Over the Garden Wall series that came out in 2016. Uh, the mini series ended and then an ongoing series started. So this is the creative team for the mini series, uh, which is written by Pat McHale with art by Jim Campbell and colors by Danielle Burgos. I don't know. I'm going to look up the art, the creative team for the ongoing too. Cause I, I would lump the ongoing in with this. Like I just love, I love over the garden wall. I love the mini series. I love the aesthetic. The aesthetic is my aesthetic. That's why I watched it in the first place is I saw like a gift somewhere. And I was like that. No, I need to see that immediately and found it and bought it and watched it from beginning to end. Um, I like, I love the characters. I love all of their personalities. I, love like all the weird shit that happens it's just like every single thing about it was made to appeal to me specifically um so even though you know there's other stuff out there that may be better this is made for me specifically to appeal to me specifically um if you're not familiar with over the garden wall it follows the adventures of two brothers named Wirt and Greg who are traveling through a forest called the Unknown um, looking to find their way back home. And they're not exactly sure how to get there or why they're here without giving too much away. And along the way, they meet up with a bluebird named Beatrice who has been turned into a bluebird by a witch and who is helping them for her own reasons that they are not quite aware of yet. It's weird and funny. Um, if you want to see the miniseries, it's streaming on Hulu. I think it's very short. It's only like two hours. That There's ten episodes and they're all like ten minutes long. Um, but it's so good. And the comic is so good. And the comic, the, the miniseries comic, was written by the same person who created the show so obviously like the tone is right on with what the show is the ongoing also like the jim campbell who does the art for the miniseries um wrote the ongoing is writing the ongoing and he nails pat McHale's um writing style and dialogue style and tone exactly and it's so great um <laughs> So it's always weird to do comics, to read excerpts from comics on the show. So we, uh, you know, we'll have parts of this up on the website so that you can look and get a better idea. I will do my best to read and narrate what is happening in this. So Beatrice earlier in this issue had been on work because... Um, because she thinks that he basically does whatever anyone tells him to do and doesn't, like, stand up for himself at all. And this is kind of their dynamic throughout the whole series. Like, she makes judgments about him and he, like, petulantly tries to prove her wrong or petulantly gives in and she makes fun of him even more. Um, but so he had stopped to help these two girls do their chores 
and really like they were just using him in order to have him like do all this work so their little house area is flooded and this is the very end of the issue and as they're going away where it says jeez i'm a terrible person how could i do all of those terrible things Beatrice says, Wirt, seriously? They were just using you to get out of doing chores. They'll be fine. You're not a terrible person, just an incompetent stooge. Like I keep telling you, you've got to start grabbing life by the horns and, and Wirt hears clip-clop, clip-clop coming down the road and says, carriage! And grabs Greg and Greg's turtle, uh, Greg's frog, Jason Funderburger, and Beatrice and jumps onto the back of this wagon filled with hay. Um, so now they're underneath the hay on the back of the wagon and the wagon person has not noticed them. Um, and Beatrice says, Wirt, you actually did something proactive for once. You're learning. You learned to take charge of your life. And Wirt says, I did? I thought I was just running away from Papa. Beatrice says, oh, well, at least it worked out this time, I guess. And Wirt is smug. And then Greg says, well, looks like it's another unsolved case for Detective Solveless and his untrustworthy side work, Mr. Gregory Gibbups. And Jason Funderbrooker makes a frog sound. And then he makes another frog sound. And Beatrice says, shh, Greg, don't let the carriage driver hear us back here. He might kick us out. And Greg says, what? You were the criminal all along? And Jason Funderbrooker makes another frog sound. And up front, the carriage driver says, I, I I swear, I heard something back there. Could it have been the beast? Yeah, yeah, the beast is upon me. And takes off down the road, which meets up very neatly with the beginning of uh, one of the episodes of the show. So. Kate? There's a comic. Yes. I'm disappointed you didn't make the frog noises. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I just I know I know that you are a human. We have established that. You're not a frog. Yes. But uh if you ever come to our house, uh you over the kitchen door there is a chalk drawing that Becca did of Jason Funderbroker and Greg for a Halloween party we had a couple years ago. So yeah. That has nothing to do with anything. I thought I'd just tell everyone. I can confirm that. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my favorite comic of the year. Uh, If you have listened to this podcast at all, you know that I love Wolverine. You know that I do. And uh, I have mentioned a few times, if you are not a devoted fan of Marvel Comics and you have not been paying close attention to the Rock, Paper, Snicked, you might not be aware that Wolverine is currently dead in the Marvel continuity. But there is a new Wolverine, who is his teenage girl clone, Laura Kinney, who is the all-new Wolverine, and I love her. Uh, She's so great. She has, like, all of Wolverine's uh, abilities and surly attitude, but instead of being an ambiguously aged man, she is a teenage girl. And did I already say that I love her? Because I love her. So, uh, she just, like, it. it's such a, like, fresh, and I, I do, like, I, I've i said it, I love Wolverine, but this is, like, a fresh spin on his whole, like, attitude and, like, the kinds of things that you can do when you are basically immortal and invincible, and I, I am a fan of that whole framework, and, uh, 
And then this particular issue that I'm about to read from gets a bonus because it's a crossover with Squirrel Girl, and we may have mentioned that Squirrel Girl is the best. So this is like a real two for one for me. And I'm so just like, oh, we're so lucky to be alive right now in this time (laughs) when all new wolf. When squirrel girls everywhere. Just so hashtag blessed. So uh, in this issue, squirrel girl has just shown up at the apartment of Laura Kinney, a.k.a. Wolverine, as well as Gabby, who is a younger clone of Laura so I guess also technically a clone of Wolverine. Don't worry about it. Uh, so, but Gabby is is younger and like very cheerful and optimistic in a way that Laura is not. And anyway, Squirrel Girl has shown up at their place with an actual Wolverine, the animal, and Laura is not stoked about this. But uh, where I'm going to start reading, Gabby is hugging the Wolverine. And Gabby says, ah, he's the best pet ever. I will walk him and feed him and dress him up in fine suits and build little cities out of cardboard for him to tear through like some hairy, giant, formerly attired monster. And Squirrel Girl says, as I think, oh, I like her. Laura grumpily says, Squirrel Girl, why are you here? And why have you brought a Wolverine? It's a matter of life and death, but I thought what I had to say would come across better if you had an animal's perspective. Laura says, if I... I can't talk to wolverines. Gabby says, of course you can talk to wolverines. Anyone can. Hello, understandably irritated animal. See? Everyone says they can't talk to animals, but have you actually tried... Laura says, I can't understand wolverines. Squirrel Girl says, okay then. Sorry, Jonathan, your services aren't required. Laura Kinney, I am here with a message and you need to listen. You have wronged the squirrel world. And she points her finger very accusingly and it's very funny. Uh, So I'll stop reading there. We'll have this panel so you can look because I assure you the art it's a lot oh by the way i forgot to say because i was so excited to talk about wolverine it is written by tom taylor with art by marcio takara jordan boyd and chris peter and they're just doing really great work you guys just just so great here's some less great work um well that's not that's not necessarily fair so um my least favorite comic that i read this year was the extraordinary x-men that is written by jeff lemire with uh pencils by humberto ramos inks by victor olazaba and colors by edgar delgado extraordinary x-men's fine after um so there were a whole bunch of x-men shakeups and um the X books relaunched and uh, you might be aware if you read X-Men comics that uh, Hank McCoy brought the original five X-Men from the past to the future. So there are now teenage versions of uh, those X-Men running around and they had their own book for a while. um, In addition to all these other books that were going on that were X-Men books and they were relaunched when all the X titles were relaunched. Most of the young X-Men went to the title all new X-Men, which was like a kind of like a, 
all the teenagers are awkward teenagers together and like kind of have shenanigans while also fighting crime and they have crushes and like things happen and like they go on a road trip (laughs) um which if you know me sounds like (laughs) exactly what i want to (laughs) read and it is it's great i love that it it very barely did not make this list. Yeah. Um, Laura, Laura Kinney is decision. in with that crowd when she's not off on yes. her own solo book. Yes, she's with that crowd, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, except young Jean Grey went with the other, a bunch of the other X-Men to join a team called the Extraordinary X-Men, and that's more of the traditional what you would think of of an X-Men comic book. Like, you know, they have to fight all the continuity-heavy bad guys and stuff like that and do X-Men-y things instead of having delightful teen shenanigans. And I, you know, I like traditional X-Books, and I really like Jean Grey, and I really liked what they had been doing with teen Jean Grey. So I was like, yeah, like, I'll pick up this book too. And I actually ended up dropping it uh, a few months ago because, A, I spent too much money on comics, and B, I get so much joy out of all of these other books. Uh, This one just was not bringing me quite as much joy. I'm not as into all of that continuity-heavy stuff as I was as a teenager. You you had a con Mariette. I had to con Murray it. So it's not bad. Like, it's it's fine. I was reading it for a while. I actually picked what comic I was going to read from by reaching over into a pile of my recently read comics and grabbing the extraordinary X-Men that was closest to the top. Um, you know, if you like traditional X-Books, it's perfectly fine. But, you know, I just have a limited amount of time and would rather devote it to squirrel girl and other teenage superheroes having shenanigans. So I'll read a bit from what appears to be issue eight of the book. So here um, storm is kind of reflecting on X-Men stuff that's happened in the past and X-Men stuff that is happening in the present And while she's sitting behind her desk, old man Logan comes in and says, you look tired. And Storm says, Logan, I didn't hear you come in. And old man Logan says, yeah, I'm sneaky like that. To be fair, the door was open a crack. And Storm says, please, you don't need to make excuses. I'm glad you're here. I need someone to distract me from myself. And old man Logan says, that bad, huh? And Storm says, honestly, yes. It's starting to feel futile, Logan. X-Haven, all of it. I feel like no matter what we do, we still lose in the end. And that's the worst part. And the the worst part is I can't let on to the others. I have to keep acting positive. I need to keep pretending I know what I'm doing. There's no one I can talk to. Old man Logan says, you're talking to me. So I am. Why is that? Why do I find it so easy to open up to you? He says, maybe it's because we both got white hair. (laughs) Known you a long time, bro. Can't tell you, uh, I can tell how worried you are. I see it in your face, even if the others don't. She says, yes, there's no point pretending with you, Logan. There never was. And Logan says, where I came from, the wasteland, there was really no future, no point to anything. So I learned to just enjoy the little things when I could. My kids, my wife. Maybe you just need to stop worrying about the end game. Just focus on one day at a time, one mutant life at a time. Everything is going to be okay. Do you really believe that? I lived through the future once already. I have to believe it's going to be better this time. I have to. You don't need to face the future alone this time. 
and neither do you. And yeah, it's just, I, I also, I also don't want to pretend that everything is terrible. Like it, yeah, I was gonna say, Kate, like you read that, and I was like, ooh, I gotta go pick that up. I, <laughs> I think I read. Yeah, I mean that. I think I read the first trade of that, and then I was just waiting for the next trade. Like I thought it was fine, but that's like my jam. Yeah, it is fine. <laughs> yeah, like it. That's like really, it's kind of like a. a sort of side plot but yeah um logan and aurora i mean yeah um and it's fine it is fine it's perfectly fine um but i, yeah, just... I get we're, we're in the least worst game at this point I, I get it yes um also i just want to clarify because because it's confusing but also i like talking about it and i don't want anyone to listen and be like renati just said wolverine was dead and wolverine's in this book Old Man Logan is a different character who came from an alternate future back to ours, so he is not technically Wolverine for the record. Yes. If, he is. That's why I was referring to him as Old Man Logan. I know Logan you did. I just, Logan, for any listener yes. who was like, wait a minute. That's all. Yeah, welcome to comics where there's 19 <laughs> versions of every character running around at the same time, and they all have weird names to keep track of them, but if you don't follow the comics, they all seem like the same person. Yes. But there there are subtle but important differences, I assure you. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to go more into that, I'm, I don't know, Rachel or Jay and Miles explain the X-Men have probably covered that. I don't know. Yes. What a, well, they, I mean, they, they're not up that far yet, but... Well, not to you this know, the one, general but X-Men. anyway. Yes. Whatever. Uh, my worst graphic novel that I read this year was Civil War by Mark Millar, with art by Steve McNeville, Dexter Vines, and Maury Hollowell. Uh, there's a lot of side books. This is the one that's just called Civil War. And I, I was never very interested in this concept. I'm not a person who is excited generally when superheroes fight each other. I really just want them to get along and be friends and be the good guys. But uh, since the Captain America colon Civil War movie was coming out this year, I thought I would just try to read this all the way through in preparation. Uh, and I, I didn't like it, and I don't care about it. And and I did, that's all. I just could not care less about these people fighting each other. I just want them to be friends again. And I know that the the way they did it in the movie is completely different than how it is in the comics. And I I mean I I like the movie fine. I still think it's stupid. I don't want them to fight and I uh I also don't think superheroes should just be allowed to do whatever they want. And uh that's how I feel. So I'm just going to read a little bit cuz who cares. Uh, this is Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, kind of learning the basic premise of the book. He says, I think this plan will split us down the middle. I think you are going to have us at war with one another. And I don't even know who this is. Some rando says, what's the matter with these guys? How can anyone argue with superheroes being properly trained and paid for a living? Correct. See, Rogers says a lot. Oh, no. Uh, another rando says, how many rebels do you estimate here, Captain? Steve says a lot. Maria Hill from S.H.I.E.L.D. says any majors? Steve says a few, but mostly the heroes who work close to the streets like Daredevil and Luke Cage. Maria Hill says, so nobody you can't handle? Steve says, excuse me? Maria says, you heard. 
Anyway, I don't care. They're all gonna fight. I just don't care. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of people are really into it for some reason. (laughs) Just who? Civil War. Who cares? Uh, Oh my god! This year, Marvel did Civil War two, and I was like also mad about it because again, I don't care. Please stop fighting. Marvel needs to stop doing events. And I don't understand because, like, I, I'll say that and then, like, all of the sales for event comics will be really good. And I'm like, why are you buying these? Why do you care? Who cares? No one cares. Just let me have an uninterrupted arc in my other books. Yeah. Just do that. Or if you're going to do a crossover event, why can't it be, like, friendship squad time and they all, like, cross over like, the way that Squirrel Girl and, uh, Laura Kinney did. Which, actually, I think that might be the start of her Civil War II tie-in book, tangentially. But, uh, why can't it just be like that? Like, let's cross over and hang out and, like, talk to Jonathan the actual Wolverine. But not, (laughs) not have a big serious fight about it. Anyway, but I don't work for Marvel and no one asked me, but... (laughs) But I wish they would. All right, that's that's it, right? That's the th- yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. All right. Again, I'm sorry. We are sick. We are just hanging in there, you guys. We're just hanging in there, and we hope that you are feeling better than we are as you listen to this. And if you are and you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at Worst Bestseller with no S. The S was lost in a tragic crossover event. Uh, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Goodreads where we're spelled the usual way. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And uh, if you do subscribe to us, please rate and review us because it pops us up a little further in the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't read and review us, then we're going to force you to actually participate in one of those crossover events. Uh, also, if you do review us, feel free to not mention that we're completely delirious right now. You could just yes. review us the way that we usually are, which is like one degree at least more put together than this. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> oh my god, we're trying, you guys. We it's are true. trying. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we'll never love your review as much as we love the review of the guy who told us we laughed too much at our own jokes, or the person who said that we make them feel bad as a whitey. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Whiteys, honestly, get it together. <laughs> um, in addition to all of the above, uh, you can... Okay, I don't even want to talk about our Patreon. I don't think people should give us money based on this performance. Yeah, we're sorry. <laughs> we're so sorry that the moment that you started paying us for for the podcast, we missed our first episode in over two years. We had to use that Patreon money and antibiotics. <laughs> Thank God you're here. I'm just kidding. We have health insurance. Thanks, Obama. But... Um, for real, thank you though. Uh, we'll we'll tell you about that later. For now, just just thank you. Thank just you. Thank you. We love you. If you're still listening, we love you even more because we've really lost the chain at this point. So much. We love you so much. We're so off the rails. I'm not even drunk. Not not a sip of alcohol. Just my Tired. body is shutting down. <laughs> But if we survive, we'll be back in two weeks 
question mark, with Violets Are Blue by James Patterson, which is one of the Alex Cross books. Wait, yeah? Yes. I almost was like, no, it's Jack Reacher, but it's not. That's a different thing. Guys, losing it. Like I said, visit us at WorstBestSellers.com, probably. Yes. Happy 2017. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, we thought it was going to be better. I don't know. I just don't know. Why am I why am I still talking? Goodbye. I don't know. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>